Welcome to our podcast, Transparently Speaking. I am Diana, and I have a son who transitioned at a young age to become his true self. And I am Joy. I have also supported my daughter to transition at an early age. We are here to share our experience and our learning along this journey. We want to provide support and guidance parent to parent. And if you find yourself on a similar journey, we want you to know that you are not alone. So let's dive in, transparently speaking. Diana, something happened recently and it really helped highlight for me an example of what our kids and other youth or individuals who don't identify on the binary, either with gender or sexuality, what they might be experiencing and the extra maybe sort of anxiety or stress associated with what's happening around them and how that might impact them and their identity. You said identifying on the binary. Do you mean identifying as what they were assigned at birth? Because our kids identify on the binary. You're right. That's true. Yeah. I guess what would be, I'm always conscious that I'm not nearly as comfortable with using all the right language as you are. Okay. So I guess I'm just talking about, you know, I use the phrase kind of gender creative or just non. Yeah. What's the language that you use? I would just say, I think what you're referring to is for our children, those that aren't, you know, identifies what they're assigned at birth. So they're gender creative, gender diverse, and that kind of umbrella terms, transgender as non-binary, as well as people who are gender non-conforming. Yeah. which they may be cisgender, but gender nonconforming. In terms of how they express their gender? Yeah. Yes. Yes, that's some really good clarification. This concept of gender diversity and gender nonconformity could mean different things. And I guess ultimately, I'm not sure what the right label is. I don't know who might be experiencing kind of what I'm referring to because I don't, I don't experience it. And I, and I know in talking with Samantha, Again, I'm recognizing as a parent, maybe I'm concerned about how she has to navigate a lot of things that I can't even imagine. Okay, so here's what happened. It's near the end of my workday. I schedule kind of my work hours while the kids are at school. And I check my email and I see this note from a school counselor. And it's a school counselor's name that I'm not familiar with. The note says, hey, I talked with Samantha today. I wanted to let you know and give you an update just to make sure everybody's informed about what happened. And so immediately I am, oh my gosh, what in the heck happened? I'm concerned. Samantha comes home just honestly five minutes later. I check in with her. She looks a little shaken up and I said, hey, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, but there's this weird thing that happened today. I'm like, okay, well, tell me, you know, what's going on? And she says, well, I was called into the counselor's office and she said, okay, okay, wait, let me back up. She's like, so I was in the bathroom and there were two other girls in the bathroom and they were giggling, but I had no idea. I just went in the stall and used the bathroom and I came out and she said, they were looking in the garbage can. I don't know. And she said, apparently there was a used pregnancy test in the garbage can. And so what ensued was the counselor had heard apparently that Samantha was in the bathroom as well as these other girls and was engaging with these kids to understand if they knew anything about said used pregnancy test in the garbage can. 
with the intention, of course, of, hey, if somebody knew something and there's a kid who might need support, we want to make sure we're providing appropriate support for that youth. All that makes sense. What initially jumped into my mind when all this started happening was, oh my goodness, what happened in terms of Samantha's experience, Samantha's identity being transgender? Was there an issue with her using the bathroom? Did somebody call her out? What, you know, did somebody see something? I have no idea. That That was your thought when you got the email? I had no idea. Yeah, I, I guess so. Yes, there was a counselor contacting me. The only other times that I've had a counselor from schools contact me is when basically somebody kind of outed or was asking questions about Samantha's gender. So they didn't mention they didn't mention the pregnancy test at all in the email. No, there was no mention about that. So I had no idea what it was. So that's where my mind went. And so as Samantha's telling me all this, I I was sort of breathing a sigh of relief. Mm -hmm. And I asked her, I was like, well, how was that for you? You know, what did they ask you? Or what was the conversation? And she said, well, apparently it was about this. And if I knew anybody, I didn't know anything. And I said, okay. And I said, were you concerned it was going to be about something else? And she was like, well, kind of. And I said, well, what do you mean? She was like, well, I just never know. You know, is there some issue with me using the bathroom with somebody? Yes. Did somebody have some concern about knowing my identity as transgender and me being in the girl's bathroom? So to add on to this story, so I'm talking with the counselor after this. So I give a call on the phone and just wanted to hear the counselor's version of the story. And it was, as I've already shared, we heard about this from one of the students and we're trying to investigate to identify if there's a youth we can be supporting. And I went through, you know, thanking me for the update, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, say, I want to just share something. I'm a, I would like to request this is confidential. And I know in your profession that you're here to support all of our kids. And I said, what came up for me when I got your message and when I was talking with Samantha is I was very concerned this could be about something else. And I said, between you and me, the administration knows this, but we do not communicate more broadly, especially given the context of the district right now and what's happening in the political nature of things. And I said, Samantha is transgender. And so when I got that email and when she came home, I was talking with her. I was really concerned. We were both concerned potentially that there was some issue here with her in the girl's bathroom. And the counselor was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I just traumatized her daughter and I had no idea. And I said, well, I don't think so. I think she's fine. And I shared this with you simply for all of us to recognize perhaps what these kids might be thinking about or having to navigate every day in terms of the extra layers of perception and safety and things that undoubtedly are in the back of their minds. What was the response to that? She acknowledged it and she said, entirely, I completely understand that. And she again apologized just because that, of course, was not her intention. And she, I think, had a different perception or understanding of, I could see how that would be a potential concern here. You know, all this reminds me of this exercise I saw done at a conference. It was a conference for families with gender diverse kids. And the social worker had one of the parents come up at the front of the room and sit in a chair where they were facing the screen that was at the front of the room. 
And they said, I'm going to show you this video. I want you to pay attention because I'm going to ask you questions about it afterwards and teach you something. And, and I think the video, it wasn't long, like maybe three minutes, five minutes, somewhere in there. And he also had five other people come up and he handed each of them three by five cards that had a sentence or two on it. And their job was to stand around the parent that was sitting watching the video to learn. And they were supposed to read their sentence or sentences over and over and over again, simultaneously, all five at the same time, while this person was trying to learn the thing. And the sentences were like, like one was something to the effect of, oh, did that person just clock me? Where can I get to a more public area? Clock, just so our listeners know, to clock you means that somebody has identified you as transgender. So that was one of the, some phrase, something to that effect. There was another person reading something to the effect of, I really have to go to the bathroom, but I have two more hours left. Maybe I can make it till I get home. I just don't know. I don't know. Somebody else said something else about the bathroom. Like, is anyone in there? Will it be okay if I go in? What if somebody comes while I'm already in there? So the idea was like, there are five different kind of phrases that um, the social worker I felt are very common for gender diverse kids to be navigating throughout the school day. And the point was to show like when you're trying to learn something, but you have all these other issues, all these other thoughts going through your head constantly of navigating your environment, the safety of your environment, your needs. Can you meet them? Can you not? How difficult it is to learn to kind of create that compassion that sometimes it's not that the kids aren't trying, but it's not you know, it's not the same. There's an added challenge. And I will tell you how this ended. It actually ended, it was an abbreviated thing because the parents sitting in the chair started breaking down crying because it was so much. And they said they were thinking about their child too and how difficult that was and what they must go through because the teaching video was some anatomy or physiology thing. And the person said like, I actually already know all this stuff that's being taught, but even so, it was so hard to focus and so hard to pay attention. And I I think because how upset the parent got, I don't know if the social worker ever did that again. However, it was one of the most impactful exercises I had ever seen. And I've I've never forgotten it. And I often use it now as I think about Clark and how he's been navigating school. That's really powerful. Yes. So for Clark, he does well in school. He definitely, this year has been a tough year. The beginning of the year, he was misgendered. I mean, nobody, he's non-disclosed. People don't know he's uh, transgender. They were just misgendering him of his long hair and eyeliner and baby face or whatever. Like, I don't know. That's my guess. But it was not intentional is the point. However, it weighed on him heavily. And then now we've gotten to a point where that's better. But I think he constantly navigates and he does not want to go to college. And Arthur, my husband and I are supportive of his wishes because, you know, he still has to find a way, learn to take care of himself whether he goes to college or not. And he has some plans, but that's not the important thing. I said to Clark one day, I said, I sometimes wonder if some of your desire not to go to college is because of all you've navigated. And I kind of talked about this exercise and like, having to 
continuously think of your safety and decide when and where you'll use the bathroom. And he's a young man, a few words. (laughs) So I kind of took an agreement there, but truly, if I think about it, he was just kind of quiet. Like he just kind of said, yep. And that was it. Didn't really want to talk about it more. But I think like, I think as some of my family, as they hear, he may not want to go to college. Like, how can he not go to college and stuff like that? And I'm like, he knows what he needs. He needs a break. And we're okay with that. He'll go to college when he's ready to go to college, if that's what he needs. But I think if it wasn't for that one exercise, I don't know if I would be as understanding. So Diana, to what I'm really hearing is that you've gone through a lot of thinking and processing about Clark and how his thinking and perceptions and constant navigation of the environment around him is influencing who he is and what he wants to do. And so when he shared with you that he doesn't want to go to college, I just want to clarify, do you know for sure that that's the reason why, or is that just what's you don't know for sure. Okay. I no, see you I nodding don't. your head for our listeners. Yeah, shaking my head. Nope. <laughs> no, I don't know for sure. That's why I brought it up to him just to see what his response would be. And like I said, he just said, yep. So I don't know. But I also don't know if he was not totally listening to me. <laughs> Do you? He is a teenager. Lots of fun. So I don't know. He What he always says is, I hate school. That's his comment. I've not heard it before this year. I can't say I've ever thought he's loved school, but he's very clear. I hate school. And what I have seen is kind of in a lot of anxious feelings he navigates around school. And in fact, we were talking about missing a half a day for something. And I was like, are you okay with that? Because I hated missing a day of school when I was in high school because it would make me feel very anxious to come back and feel lost and not exactly sure because they're talking about things I missed. I did not like that feeling at all. So I did not like to miss class where his resp- his response was to laugh and say, no, I don't care. Like, if I don't know where we are, I don't care. I'm like, okie dokie. <laughs> so you mentioned that he does quite well at school. So your understanding is it's not the academic portion of school that he doesn't like. It is more of the social interaction at school. I think it's both. I mean, his grades have gone down, but they're fine. I think I think he does well at school out of the pressure of not wanting to be bothered, (laughs) having to answer questions about it. And he is a rule follower to some degree and a people pleaser. So I also think not having to deal with his teacher saying what's going on is another part of it, why he does what he does. But then that makes it even more miserable for him is my interpretation because now he has more pressure. So that he puts on himself to do these things he doesn't want to do when he's navigating a lot of things, a lot of life. I mean, I am grateful that he will come to me, that he he has a health class called environmental health or something like that. But they're doing a unit right now that includes swimming. And I didn't think much of it, but he came to me and he said, mom, I've heard there is a gender neutral changing room and I'm wondering if I can use it. And I said, oh, I, did, I didn't even think about it. <laughs> I didn't realize they were doing a swim, swimming unit, but I don't think I thought about it. He's always Because he's always been really good at navigating things himself. So he's like, either I need to get out early because I don't want to change there in front of everyone or I want the gender neutral. And so that's what I did. I just 
emailed the teacher. I didn't explain why. I just said, Clark is not comfortable changing in front of everyone. So our understanding is there's a gender neutral room. May he use that? Or if that's not available, can you please excuse him out of the pool before everyone else so he can get changed before everyone comes? And there is a stall in the bathroom because I asked him, but I think he, I don't remember, it's like one. So he's like, the chance of getting it is slim unless he gets out early to be the first one there. Mm-hmm. But the teacher was like, fine. And you could see when I said, oh, she wrote back, not a problem. She said, she'll talk to you about what you prefer, what she can do, but it'll be one of those. And you could see the relief on his face and of like, okay, one less thing to navigate. Oh, how is that for you as a mom seeing this, these challenges? On one hand, I'm super proud of him for coming up with solutions, thinking about what he needs and saying something. He's a quiet kid. On the other hand, you know, of course, then I go into, are people asking questions about why is he using the gender neutral one? And and are people asking questions about why he's getting out early? But I try to always go back to what I used to tell him the first time he had to deal with a locker room, which was middle school, which is there are lots of reasons why people don't want to change in front of other people. And it's not always about gender. I even had the example of a nephew who in middle school always changed in the bathroom stall because he was ashamed of his body and he didn't want to take a shirt off in front of others. That's a whole nother topic. But the point is, there are lots of reasons why people don't want to change in front of other people. That's not a problem. And Clark always says he doesn't really care what other people say and think about him which I think that is true, except when it comes to safety. Mm -hmm. He is definitely hyper aware of safety, which is good and bad. I wish I could take some of that anxiety and fear away from him. Mm -hmm. So as we were preparing for today, you have something really beautiful that we wanted to share as maybe a description or a summary, a good summary for our listeners about how society tends to think about the experience of LGBTQ people being kind of in the closet and why don't they come out of the closet and some of that language. Would you share that with us? Right. Yeah. It's because I think just real quickly to your point, like people may listen to our stories that we're telling and say, well, this wouldn't be an issue if your children were just out, then they wouldn't have to worry. And I would disagree. <laughs> then just worry about something else. But or it might um, be it might be even more like potent. All these right. Then they're exactly. more wondering how will that information about me be used as a barb, as a right. weapon, right? How can how can that be weaponized? So this is um an excerpt from the book Sissy, a coming of gender story by Jacob Tobiah. It's a wonderful book. I highly recommend it. Jacob is a non-binary advocate and an amazing writer. And so this is what they wrote. Instead of the closet, I'd like to propose a more humane metaphor. What if we talk about queer trans people coming out of our shells? When a person hides in the closet, we act as if it is their responsibility to come out. But when a snail hides in its shell, we don't delegate responsibility the same way. A snail only hides in its shell because the world outside feels hostile. If a snail recoils at the sight of you, it's not because the snail is cowardly or lying or deviant or withholding. It's because you've scared it. When queer people hide our identities, it's not because we are cowardly or lying or deviant or withholding. It's because the world and people around us 
felt predatory because someone scared us intentionally or unintentionally, and we were trying to protect ourselves. Like snails, we too are defensive. All this is to say that the metaphors we use to talk about queer and trans experience matter. The closet is a metaphor that sets queer and trans people up to feel that we are somehow dishonest or immoral for concealing our identities, that it is somehow our lack of courage that is to blame. The closet spent over a decade controlling my life and how I thought about myself, making me feel ashamed for hiding my identity from the world and the people around me. The pressure to come out weighed on me constantly. According to what I'd been taught on TV and in books, coming out of the closet was my responsibility. It was my responsibility to open up that door and step bravely into the light. It was my responsibility to correct what the world had assumed about me, that I was straight, that I was a boy, that I was cisgender. I owed it to them to be honest, not the other way around. The closet led me to blame myself for my own lack of courage, my own inability to be honest, my own inability to just open the door rather than blaming the people around me who'd built a world where everyone was presumed to be straight and cis in the first place, where queerness was an inconceivable other. I think that's really powerful, this concept of language and metaphors. I think more importantly, the idea especially now, and we've talked a little bit about the movement to like be out, to have that human experience, to change hearts and all that. And it's like, well, just be courageous and do it. But I love what they say in here about, it's not about, it's not up to the person to be courageous. It's up to the rest of us to make it safe. And I think that's been our mission, yours, Joy, and mine. Um, for the past so many years is to how do we make it safe so they can be their true selves in whatever way that means. Yeah. If only we had control over the environment <laughs> around our kids. Right. <laughs> but I think that but that's the nugget here is imagine the environment in which we all function. And right now it doesn't feel safe by any means and how hard we're working to create a space for greater understanding where we can engage with more allies to create space that is safe for our kids and for all the rest of gender diverse and non-conforming kids out there. Quite honestly, honestly, when we create safety for one form of diversity, we tend to create safety for more because we show that diversity is not a problem. It's actually an asset. All right. Well, our, our work continues in front of us. We'll, we'll keep fighting and thank our listeners for being part of the journey. That's a wrap on this episode of Transparently Speaking. Thanks for joining us today. Join us again on the 1st and 15th of every month for our next podcast. Thank you to Filter for our awesome music. That's P-H-I-L-T-Y-R. Check them out at Apple Music, YouTube Music, Spotify, or anywhere you download music. As a reminder, we welcome your feedback and questions. Email us anytime at transparentlyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com. If you're taking something away from our podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take a moment to provide us a review. The more listeners and reviews, the more people we can reach and support. Thanks in advance. Cheers from Joy and Diana.